0: If you dare.
1: This is the Edge with Jonathan Vontobel and Matt Humans on VCN, the sports betting network. What's up, folks? Welcome in. It's another edition of The Edge here on v Sin, flying solo today and for the rest of the week, Matt Humans, as you know, because you watch every single show, every single minute of every single day here on v Sin, was on Follow the Money earlier today. He'll be back on Monday, but until then, uh, we will do our best to fill the show with a lot of smart people today. uh, We do got those smart people. Bruce Marshall, editor of the Gold Sheet, is going to be with us in 15 minutes. Got a lot to go over in the Big East. We'll actually touch on the top game in the Big East coming up momentarily. Bruce is going to be with us to discuss that and much more. Interesting uh, Apple. Cup matchup later tonight. Two in the Pac-12, and then Sean Paul, as it was put to me by producer Matt Santos, not the Caribbean rapper, but uh, Sean Paul, hoops writer for the Mountain West Wire, host of the Field of 68 podcast, going to be with us. A lot to go over in the Mountain West it was a big day in the Mountain West yesterday, including uh, the team du jour, the UNLV running Rebels, scored a big win, although. With a pinch of salt, we'll put that uh, to rest coming up in five. Really quickly, wanted to touch on some big news, kind of, that came out of the NBA, but, but it is relevant because uh, it could greatly alter the chances of one team in terms of winning an NBA final. So this is from Sham Sharanya, uh, of course, who works for stadium. Um, New York City has a plan to phase out the vaccine mandate in the coming weeks. Mayor Eric Adams says, at which point Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving would be clear for home games. spokesperson adds that current rules still remain in place, but still it seems like we're on the verge here of the Brooklyn Nets being able to have Kyrie Irving on their home floor when they play at Brooklyn. And this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal because, for example, Tomorrow, uh, when the season resumes, the Brooklyn Nets will be playing host to the Boston Celtics, and these Celtics are up to a 6.5-point favorite in most spots because you know that Kevin Durant's not going to play. And when they last met, the Boston Celtics wiped the floor with the Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin durant Nets who were starting a mishmash unit uh, in that starting five. Remember, they got off to a 28-2 lead the Boston Celtics did. Game still went over the total. Uh, not that I remember anything like that. But regardless, uh, it's important. And now we're talking about two weeks from now, potentially – Uh, The Brooklyn Nets having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and of course the new additions and Andre Drummond and Seth Curry all together and starting to find their way in the last five to six weeks of the regular season. So this is a big deal because we talk about, hey, play in game on the road, you know, more road games. It might matter. Well, now it might not matter at all. And they might be at full strength in every single contest they play. And it does seem like we're coming to the end here of that mandate. So just something to keep an eye on here in the next few days, maybe even weeks, however long it takes, but it does seem that that is going to happen. And the Nets, too, you know, I talked about this on the uh, Hardwood Handicappers podcast uh, today. Doug Kiziri of ESPN joined me on the latest edition, which you can find anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, The Nets, fully realized, uh, I think are a very big danger this year in the Eastern Conference. And uh, now there is a, you know, as they become whole, there is a reason why this team still remains at the top of the odds board. Should they be the favorite to win the Eastern Conference? No, but that's a reflection of liability more than anything else but there is a realization that this still is a pretty good team. Uh, Case in point, the Superbook out here in Las Vegas moved them to 10-1 to 1 after the trade. That was immediately adjusted to an 8 and about 6-1 to 1 range. So just something to keep an eye on here as we move forward with the Brooklyn Nets. They are again in action tomorrow against the Boston Celtics. We'll have a lot of NBA stuff for tomorrow as the regular season resumes. With that, uh, let's recap a little bit of yesterday in college hoops. There's a couple of contests uh, to touch on very quickly before we get to the results, or excuse me, the contests from today. UConn and Villanova, we'll start in the Big East because it's a big, Big East day, and yesterday was a fantastic contest, 71 to 69, the final score yesterday, uh, and um, a I thought somewhat ridiculous to end, and a just somewhat poorly officiated game overall. But as Greg put Peterson, our hoops handicapper and college basketball expert, put it, for those of us with Villanova, that's just horrible. Yes, uh, it was. If you took two with Villanova, you got a pretty rough push there. It looked like the uh, Wildcats were going to ultimately pull this out, but some great officiating moments ultimately led to a win and a push. Uh, depending on what result you got. Dan Hurley, of course, getting tossed for firing up the crowd in the first half. Villanova went on a 6-0 run after that, but the officials, man, you just can't have the crowd getting fired up. So, Dan Hurley gets tossed after that. Following a made three-point bucket from UConn, and this is where it got dicey at the end of this game. 69-68, Villanova's up, uh, but then UConn gets the tie up uh, on what seemed to be clearly an intentional foul, uh, and a bear hug at that. They scored, then to take a 70-69 to lead on the ensuing possession, and then Gillespie, after that, calls for a charge in the final possession when going in to take the lead. Caleb Daniels, of course, did miss the front end of that 1-1 and to give the Huskies the opportunity, but that doesn't excuse poor officiating. So, uh, if you were on the wrong side there, I feel for you. It was a good game up until those last few moments where the officials decided to take over and, of course, in the first half where they decided to boot Hurley, but regardless... Really fun contest, and now these both, both of these teams move forward, and I uh, can't wait to see if they meet up once again when you get to the Big East Tournament. Uh, with that, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, and this is where I wanted to spend a little bit of time, too, because um, I continue to kind of put this out there. Right? I talked about this with Matt humans uh, I... Every single time with this Texas Tech team, I'm impressed. And again, yesterday, you get off to a slow start. I believe they were up by six or seven going into halftime, but just beat the brakes off of Oklahoma in the second half. 66-42. to 42. Now, Texas Tech, a nine-and-a-half point favorite yesterday, covers with ease in the second half of that affair. And this team now, if you look at what they have been able to do as of late, how about this? This team is now fourteen and two against the spread in their last sixteen games, and you can see these results here. Uh, the lone blemishes, right—a failed cover at Kansas State, an outright loss against Oklahoma. And this was the big revenge yesterday, but some of these performances, man, when you look at, uh, at these contests at Kansas in that first column at the bottom, they go to they go to Kansas, and that is a double overtime win for the Jayhawks, and still they fight tooth and nail in that one. The uh, just most recently, right? You're home against Baylor. The market doesn't really believe in you too much hovering around two pretty much all day. You win that game outright in cover in a very big way, and then you follow that up with a road game at Texas, in which, again, a strong second half leads you to a victory and a cover there, and then what they just did. But 14 and 2 ATS, Texas Tech, in their last 16 games. They have been downright incredible. The market continues to sleep on them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they're well within the top 10 now by some of these analytics sites like Ken Palm. Uh, and the market, like future-wise, is starting to adjust a little bit. I've got them at 40-1. to 1. Some spots now or as low as 25-1 one to win the NCAA tournament. But holy cow, man, like this Texas Tech team, it, it is start to I, I guess you, do you just ride it until it derails or do you wait to see if the market makes some legitimate adjustment here in terms of their power rating. But Texas Tech, again, when you're 14-2 and two ATS and you continue to operate that high level, uh, it's something worth noting. Do we have that clip? Do we? Can we throw that? So let's talk about this too. Uh, and Because uh, I'm not the only one that feels about this. Jim Rood, who I believe is going to be with us tomorrow, right? Uh, on uh, on the edge. So Jim's going to be with us. He was on a numbers game earlier today and talked about Texas Tech. It picture like this is something to take note of Well, Then the current
0: odds do not match that whatsoever. I know they were just recently like still 35 to one to win the title. Maybe somewhere around six or 10 to one to make the final four. Like, it, it, they, they have done nothing wrong really this year. They finally figured out winning away from home with the at Baylor, the at Texas win, I think this team is fully legitimate. The offense is starting to sharpen up a little bit. It's not as big of a drag on their efficiency as it's been in the past. And they have maybe the best defense in the entire country. They, they are, legitimate. They're fun to watch. The defense is suffocating. They're a real threat in March.
1: Yep. And uh, we and I keep going. We humans brought this up and it's a really good point. Uh, But just go back to about a month and a half ago, we did see Gonzaga take on Texas Tech in a neutral site game and it was 69 to 55. Uh, But the big difference there, of course, Texas Tech uh, was not Um, in terms of availability, was not fully healthy. It was Terrence Shannon who wasn't available there. So we'll see if uh, that's going to make a difference for Texas Tech as we kind of move forward. uh, Shannon, of course, as we know, uh, can be an electric scorer. We saw in the TCU game, drop 20 on him. But still... This Texas Tech team is finding its stride on offense and has been one of the best defensive teams in the country, and it has been awesome to watch them continue to do this. And, and just really quickly, uh, this is just not even a gripe, uh, but, man, come on, let's get some uniform injury reports here. How about this yesterday? So UNLV gets a 62-54 to win over Nevada. This was the nightcap game. Uh, for those who are you who are looking for some late-night action, uh, UNLV now, by the way, has covered seven out of eight games. Uh, they continue to get better and better, but the story here is, is uh, out of nowhere UNLV who was uh, I thought in a pretty poor spot here against Nevada was out of nowhere taking on a shorthanded Wolfpack team who didn't have Desmond Cambridge yesterday due to a late scratch so a big win for UNLV on the road against Nevada their odds by the way continue to plummet in terms of winning the Mountain West Conference uh, but now with nine conference wins kudos to Matt Humans who had over eight for UNLV he gets the uh, gets the cash there on that future for the running Rebels but the Rebels now get Boise State coming up next on this schedule uh, it should be Wyoming and uh, then no actually I mean, that's Nevada who's got Wyoming next. It's Boise State, Wyoming, and then New Mexico to close out the season for UNLV, who looks like they're a legitimate threat to win a Mountain West Conference tournament title. Uh, With that, let's take a look at some of the bigger games today on the board. Um, We'll we'll save Duke-Virginia for best bets because we'll get to that at some point. Um, Same for... uh, Rutgers and Michigan, guys. So let's go to Xavier and Providence because we're going to touch on this with Bruce Marshall as well and love to get his thoughts on what he expects here. But this is one of the sexier games on the board. Providence is a one point favorite. Total's floating around 137. It's a two point drop off of the open that we saw overnight. So Providence, as you we know, coming off that dramatic comeback against Butler over the weekend, they overcame a 19 point deficit, one seventy-one seventy uh on the road. Friars know now it's three and six ATS in their last nine. They're seven and eight ATS at the Dunkin Donuts Center. Um, Xavier slumping, though. They're one and four straight up in their last five games. They're three and nine ATS in the last 12. If you remember when these two played back in Cincinnati, Musketeers closed as a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite lost on a a Jared Bynum three-pointer with one-and-a-half to play but here's the difference, I think, here. Because there's injury questions for both teams. Uh, Nate Johnson has missed the last two games for Xavier. It looks like he is very unlikely to play tonight. And Al Durham, for Providence, is questionable to play. And if you just look at some of the raw, like, on-court, off-court numbers, look, I think, and if some of the numbers dictate this, Xavier is – pretty poor, losing both of these last two games by double digits, The coinciding with the Johnson injury. Providence is better without Al Durham than I think Xavier is without Nick Johnson. So, I'm interested to see this when it comes from a number perspective. Again, when you're talking about home court and college hoops, it's worth quite a bit. And it's still floating around the 3-3.5 three, three range, depending on where you're at, and this number would tell you that Xavier is much better, and some of the analytics would tell you that, too. Uh, Ken Palm Wise Xavier is rated higher than Providence, uh, but at the end of the day, when it comes to this injury now for Xavier, when it comes to the fact that I think a trust Providence in terms of their depth, dealing with an injury to Durham as they would to uh, Xavier and their guy Johnson. Uh, I like the Providence Friars here, so we'll see if Bruce Marshall agrees with that. But there's a lot of good games, man. We got Kentucky, LSU to discuss at some point today, uh, how Michigan bounces back. Of course, Juwan Howard not going to be on the sidelines. Uh, Diabate not going to be there either uh, as long as Terrence Williams, or as well as Terrence Williams against Rutgers. So there is a lot to get to here. We're going to get to a lot of college hoops in the next 30 minutes. So when we come back, Bruce Marshall, editor of the Gold Sheet, we'll go over the Big East schedule. We also we got a couple of those uh, smaller games that we have to discuss with Bruce on the other side.
0: if you dare.
3: This is The Edge on vSEN, the sports betting network.
1: If you missed out on any part of our show or anything on the v schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcast. You can catch replays of all of our shows or download and listen on your schedule. Go to v slash podcast. Make sure you get coast-to-coast hoops. Greg Hoops Peterson is going to look at every major and some of the minor college basketball games on the upcoming schedule to find betting opportunities. We also have others. We the book, Alexander Market Insights, Josh Applebaum, Hardwood Handicappers with me. New episode up this morning, Doug Kazarian, VSPN, with me on the latest episode. All that and more, all free, available now, v slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's welcome in Bruce Marshall, editor of The Gold Sheet. A lot to get to with Bruce in so little time. So, Bruce, we will dive right in with uh, some of the games that we will see today. And I want to get your thoughts on uh, looks like the big one in the Big East, Xavier on the road against Providence. History, uh, injury question marks for both teams here, Bruce. But I was making the case right before we brought you on that I think Providence would be able to overcome the absence of Al Durham if he cannot play uh, more likely than Xavier being able, uh, able to overcome the absence of Nate Johnson. What do you say here? Here because Providence, holding strong, is a one-point favorite with a total of 137.
3: Yeah, I mean, this this number, there's an edge for Providence, though. I mean, uh, even a about one, two points, when Providence is favored, you got to worry about that because they win games on one point like they did against Butler the other day in overtime. So they win them close, but they usually win them. Um, and they've got some depth. They've got various angles. They also have a legit post-scoring threat in Nate Watson that a lot of teams um, in the uh in the big East don't have. Now Watson got in foul trouble in the first game and did not do much. In fact he didn't score because he was on the bench most of the game with fouls and they still won that game on a Jared Bynum uh three pointer in the last seconds at Cintas Center against the X uh in the first meeting. Johnson's absence might not help uh uh Xavier much. Xavier's losing some games here close. See this is the bottom line here. A lot of these games are close. Xavier's losing a lot of them. Providence wins most of them. There is no team I would rather have on my side just needing to get a win if the game is close in the last couple of minutes than Providence. They just seem to pull all these games out. So I I Priors they just they Basically, you have to win, and I think they can win by more than one point, though it gets close to them sometimes. But the close win for Providence, I think, is in the cards.
1: All right, let's let's uh, let's stay in the conference then. Butler on the road against Seton Hall. Seton Hall opens up 9.5 with a total of 133. We're looking at 9.5 still across the board, but a total of 129.5. And, a half. and uh, all of a sudden, the Bulldogs covering four out of five and looking a little bit more feisty lately, Bruce.
3: Yeah, they have. And, you know, they started to play better when Bo Hodges got into the lineup last month. Now, he... He's their second-leading scorer. He was not there the first time they played the Hall. Um, And and Butler, except for that game against St. John's last week, and we might talk about the Johnnies in a second, which has been very hot lately. Butler has, like you said, been very competitive lately. The Hall has been struggling some here. Part of that has been, you know, since uh, Bryce Aiken had the concussion last month and has been out, and I'm not sure if his status for tonight. But without Aiken, they've missed a little something. And a lot of close games here for Seton Hall as well. Um, and 9.5 and is not an insignificant number. Like you said, Butler's covering uh, numbers lately, 7-10 to 10 as well, so it's gone back a little bit here, and a lot of it has been since Hodges started to play. I think this is close, uh, and Butler's probably worth a look. Butler has also been going over a lot lately, even though it's not the most explosive team. They don't put these totals too high, and they're over 10 of their last 12. They got this total right about 129.5 right now, maybe an over as well. Uh, but Butler looks like a live uh, bulldog tonight, no pun intended, in Newark.
1: All right, let's go Creighton and St. John's then. So Creighton has been on a little bit of a run themselves. They've won five straight, six out of seven. Uh, they have covered, depending on what your closing number was in the Georgetown game, either three out of four or four straight. Uh, and they've actually, they, the Blue Jays have been much better on the road, Bruce, than they have been at home, six and three ATS in true home uh, road spots as opposed to five, seven, and one at home. What do you make of this matchup here? Open five, we're starting to see some four and a halfs pop up with a total of 150.
3: Yeah, um, you know, St. John's has looked really good its last couple of games. And uh St. John's wins a couple of more, they can move back onto the bubble here. Now, the first game may be St. John's worst game of the year. They lost 87-64 to in Omaha last month. Um, but I, I, Champagne has been on a roll. He scored 29 per game the last couple of wins that St. John's has had. Posh Alexander has been the putting up some big numbers. I I think St. John's has a shot to make a move here late, and uh, I don't know that Creighton can extend uh, this recent uh, uptake here. I'm actually going with St. John's. I'm going to ride the Johnnies for a little bit here. They've looked so good their last few games and that includes also a big win at Xavier. So I'm going to take uh, Mike Anderson's bunch here tonight. All right,
1: I like it. Let's shift over to another conference then. We'll go American, uh, 687, 688 for those keeping track at home. East Carolina at home against South Florida. Open seven with a total of 128. We're pretty much across the board. We're up to 129. Spread still at seven or six and a half. Uh, these two teams actually just met. Uh, I'd say, what, about a week ago or so, Bruce, and uh, the uh, Pirates got the 65-57 win. What do you make of the rematch here?
3: Well, let me say this. If if Dr. Naismith could have seen into the future, and would have seen that a team like South Florida would have been a creation for uh, a, a and, you know a, a, a team that emerged from a game that he created, he might not have even bothered to create <laughs> basketball because they can't shoot. I mean, it's pretty hard. They are the worst shooting team in the country, thirty seven point nine percent from the field, the worst three point shooting team, barely twenty five percent. Now, they're a little better with their free throws. They rank three ten in free throws instead of three fifty. They can't score. Um, They thought that the transfer portal has not worked too well for Brian Gregory. They thought Siobhan Green from George Mason would come in here and shoot well. But, no, he has contributed to their shooting inconsistencies as well. He's only 32% from the floor. East Carolina at home has not been all that bad this season. This is not a great team, but uh, that name... Uh, from last week's game scoring 16 points was Vance Jackson, uh, 16 against, uh, South Florida last week and the win at Tampa. If that name sounds familiar, it should. He's played about everywhere. Uh, UConn, New Mexico, Arkansas, and here he is now at East Carolina and scoring a lot of points. I think East Carolina wins. I'm just looking against, uh, South Florida. Luckiest guy in the world is Brian Gregory, the head coach, South Florida. He just got extended to 2026. Why? I don't know, but, uh. Not from on-court performance,
1: that's for sure. Uh, Bruce, I think I'd argue, Javon Green, he, they wanted him to be their leading shooter, right? And he is. It's only 31%, 32%, but he's their leading shooter. Doesn't it count for something?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the, <laughs> that's one of the problems they're
1: having. they best they've gotten. He's not shooting too well. Uh, all right, let's go to the SEC, uh, a, a very fun league. South Carolina, all of a sudden, look out, 16-10 uh, and, and catching fire. They've won three straight. They have covered four straight. and That actually goes a little bit farther. They've covered seven out of nine games and all of a sudden have found some momentum here. But they're catching two, two-and-a-half at home with a total of 139 today against Mississippi State.
3: You know, it is not too late for South Carolina to move on to the bubble here if they can close fast, and I wouldn't have said that a few weeks ago, but like you said, their recent efforts have not been that bad, uh, and a little bit of magic in there, too, and reset hit that shot from half-court to beat Ole Miss at the buzzer last week. Now, they're at home tonight. That means something. Mississippi State finally won a game as a visitor last weekend against Mizzou. I'm not sure that should count because Missouri has struggled so much. Uh, so much of, of Mississippi State... You watch them play, and the ball is in Iverson Molinar's hands so much. Um, the offense really is at his whim. Um, South Carolina is not that dynamic, but I sort of prefer the way Frank Martin's offense is structured because everybody's got his hand. They don't have a, they don't have a scorer like Molinar. But um, some of the guys, uh, Henderson, uh, Cusinard. A lot of these guys aren't afraid to take big shots for them. They all score about you 10-11 know, per game. And the collector for South Carolina just impresses me when I watch. I mean, they're not that flashy, but they seem to get the job done. And I just don't trust Mississippi State on the, on the road. I think Frank Martin steals one here tonight. So maybe give South Carolina a look.
1: All right. I like it. Let's go to the Pac-12. I'm really interested in this game. Washington and Washington State, uh, the first of two consecutive contests between the two programs. Uh, they're going to play again on Saturday. This one, it's a home-and-home. Home. Uh, but what do you make of this? Because it opens up eight in favor of Washington State, gets to 10, total of 136 right now. We saw Washington State play a close one and blow it against USC. There's really a 10-point difference between these two with Washington State at home?
3: I don't think there is. I think Washington can hang around here, although – this team has laid a few eggs this season, yeah. like the Stanford game a few weeks ago, and you know UCLA. Then like didn't look that good. Terrell Brown, though, you can usually count on him uh, to have a big game. He's scoring about twenty two per game. He's one of the leading scorers in the country. I'll tell you a couple notes about Washington State. All their their guys, um, uh, Flowers, uh, Noah Williams, Roberts, their guard, they are apt to to disappear. Uh, their best scores and like score three or four points, not that consistent and. This has got to gnaw Kyle Smith some, I'm sure, because the offense has not scored more than 60 points in this five-game losing streak that has knocked Washington State off the bubble. But I think a better angle here tonight, how about this, uh, on the total side, 17-4 and four to the under for the Cougars since Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have been a dead-under team. They got this thing up in the mid-130s. I think that's too high. So that would probably be my first recommendation. Up in the hoops version of the Apple Cup tonight, Under, a little bit to Washington. They do it all again in Seattle on the weekend.
1: Bruce, it's good to talk to you. We're up against it, so we don't have time for uh, one of the more fascinating games this uh, night, which is Wyoming and Colorado State. But thank you for the time today, sir.
3: Okay, guys. Have a good good day. Thank you.
1: Yep, you got it. Yeah, we're going to get more into that one. Colorado State, six and a half right now across the board with a total of 144. And I got to say, you know, got to watch Colorado State up close over the weekend when UNLV beat them down as a four and a half point home underdog to the Rams. And, uh... Uh, I like Colorado State a lot as a team, uh, but Wyoming still continues to, to be, I think, a pretty undervalued squad. And at Colorado State will go over the schedule and the recent. see, yes, Wyoming has uh, failed to cover their last two contests. Uh, but still think it might be a pretty good spot there for Wyoming. So we'll get to that as part of Best Bets on the other side. Uh, let's continue with the Mountain West Fives as Sean Paul joins us. on VSN, the sports betting network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit v Check the current betting splits data. New feature gives you insights on where the money and bets are moving for every game. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. Data is available for any line over, under, and against the spread bets. Betting splits, another way v is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at v All right, let's continue the conversation with college hoops. And well, we'll, get a little, we'll focus a little bit on the Mountain West, but we can expand uh, to some of the mid-majors. Uh, Sean Paul. Again, to clarify, I know I got a lot of uh, text about this, not the uh, the musical act Uh, But Sean Paul, of course, the College Hoops writer is with us. Uh, Sean, uh, appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully you don't. uh, I know my producer, Matt Santos, was really excited and thought you were somebody else. But, hey, we want to talk to you anyway. Uh, Let's talk a little bit of Mountain West because it was a big day for the Mountain West yesterday, specifically uh, specifically the team in our backyard, UNLV. Uh, Desmond Cambridge was a late scratch, so we don't want to read too much into it. But the Rebels have covered seven, seven out of eight games. They continue to get better. They waxed Colorado State over the weekend. So I'll ask you this. A week ago, UNLV was 28 to 1 to win the Mountain West Conference tournament. They opened up 35 to 1 over at so- Circa to do so. What's the ceiling for this team once you get to conference tournament time? Because they seem to be getting better, specifically defensively, as the year has gone on.
4: I mean, they could definitely win the conference tournament. When they have the best score in the conference, like Bryce Hamilton, which he is, he is the best scorer in the Mountain West Conference, leads the conference in points per game. And on any given night, he can go off for 30 plus, like we saw against Colorado State. He dropped 40. So in that, when you have that kind of player, along with good contributors, you have a steady point guard with Jordan McCabe, and you mentioned defensively, Victory Waco, the transfer from Oklahoma, Royce Ham, the transfer from Texas. And David Milwaukee, the transfer from Lamar, they all play solid roles defensively. They're not going to take many shots, but they're going to rebound the basketball. They're going to play down low. They can defend a guard if you need them to. And then Donovan Williams coming back from injury, still getting, getting his uh, feet under him. But he should be a steady contributor as the season goes on. I question who that number two scoring option will be. I think it's Williams or Mike Nuga, but we'll see what happens. But Bryce Hamilton is an absolute superstar. So I think if you can get some pretty good odds there in UNLV, I think they could win the league tournament.
1: Yep. The uh, odds makers have adjusted. It it got cut in half pretty much after that Colorado State win, and it's still floating in the range of about 12-1, to maybe a little bit shorter for the Rebels to do so. All right, Uh, let's talk a little bit more about last night before we spin things forward, and Wyoming's got a pretty big matchup later tonight against Colorado State. Uh, How big was that win uh, for, when you look at this matchup, uh, last time out for uh, San Diego State, when we saw, let me see this really quickly, Uh, San Diego State covers that game, but Boise State wins it. I should put it this way. Uh, How big was the win for Boise State, and how big was the loss for San Diego State, given the fact that they're a team that is strictly on the bubble and out of this big deep mountain west, mm-hmm. they might be the team that's on the outside looking in for once.
4: Yeah, I think I think you touched on it great I think San Diego State is a team that comes out more hurt by the loss than Boise State would have been by the loss because Boise State had some breathing room here. They were probably an 8 or a 9 seed, maybe a 10 seed on some brackets, but they still probably would have been in with the loss because that would have been a Quadrant 2 loss for the Broncos, maybe a Quadrant 1 win since San Diego State would have continued moving up a little bit. But San Diego State, they don't have a ton of quality wins, So that would have given them a very good Quadrant 1 win that they could have shown the committee, hey, we've gotten a big win here. Our record's good, our metrics are good, but here's a really good win. They don't have a lot of those on their resume. And they had a real chance to win that game, but their offense just continues to not show up when they need it to. It's Matt Bradley in big moments, but then when Matt Bradley's not showing up, it's pretty much nobody else. And that's been their problem all season long. Your defense can only carry you so far. And San Diego State's offense might be keeping them at the NCAA tournament this year.
1: Yeah, I think really like so the rest of their schedule we have San Jose State, Wyoming, Fresno State, Nevada. uh, Barring a deep tournament run for San Diego State, and I I would argue maybe winning the tournament, I would say it's a favorite that they don't make it in, right?
4: I think they I think if they win out in the regular season, you get a good win against Wyoming, a solid win against Fresno State. Those will probably be uh you know quadrant two wins. Maybe win a game or two in the league tournament, and you win out in the regular season. Uh, I think you can be in, but you have to avoid losing the not, not tournament teams in the, in the uh, league tournament for sure.
1: All right, Boise State, Wyoming, Colorado State, the three teams that are staring directly at at-large bids at this point. Uh, how safely are they in the field at this point, and what would you make the odds that all three of them make it in regardless of the outcome of the Mountain West Conference Tournament?
4: I think they're all pretty safely in at the moment. I mean, obviously things can change. You can have a bad loss here and there. But even after Wyoming lost to New Mexico a couple of weeks ago, they're still firmly in there. They were ranked at the time number 22nd in the country. They play Colorado State today. Their metrics are all really good for all three teams. Boise State had some good wins. They had the worst loss of the bunch against Cal State Bakersfield, but that was all the way back in November. So Boise State seems fine. Colorado State seems fine. I think Wyoming seems fine. They're probably all going to be in the 8, 9, 10 Maybe 11 if they lose a couple games here, seed range. But I think all will be in the tournament. I'd probably put it at like... Ninety percent plus chance that all three get in. I think is very likely.
1: All right, let's talk about the game tonight then. Wyoming on the road against Colorado State. Rams six and a half with a total of one forty four. So, like, I I have like this feeling like this Colorado State team is good, Sean. But uh, like sometimes when I see the way the market prices them, the four and a half on the road against UNLV over the weekend, six and a half here against the Wyoming team uh, that they lost to on the road. I just feel like the market is a little high on Colorado State here. But what do you think about this matchup?
4: I like both teams a lot, but I think you're right in this sense. I mean, UNLV seems to be Colorado State's kryptonite for whatever reason. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go here and say that I think Wyoming could cover the six and a, the six and a half and I think the over's probably gonna hit both offenses are really good. Neither of the defenses are top one hundred. And then you have Graham E. K who's going to be a tough matchup for them. David Roddy's good, but he's six five. He's not exactly your prototypical five man that's going to defend a guy like Graham E. K. You're probably going to see a steady diet of James Moores and Deshaun Thomas on the court, which can take away a little bit of offense for Colorado State. And then when you have a six foot seven point guard light for Maldonado, you're going to have to probably put Chandler Jacobs on the floor to defend him. And Maldonado can do a lot of different things, like we saw in the first matchup. He can drive you inside. He can back you down. He can go get a bucket inside if you need him to. And he can pass out to shooters. So I think Wyoming could very well win this game, and I think they, at the very least, they cover the sixth and
1: a half. All right, so one more team in the Mountain West uh, I want to touch on and get your thoughts on very quickly. It is the team that UNLV beat yesterday, and I mentioned it at the top, right? You don't want to read too much into it. Desmond Cambridge, uh, somewhat a late scratch there for Nevada, somewhat surprising. Uh, Shurfield comes back about four or five games ago. So I'll ask you this, like, Nevada, if they finally get healthy in their last three games, Wyoming, Boise State, San Diego State, I mean, we saw them offensively get better week to week when Shurfield got back in the lineup. Is this a team that I'm not necessarily thinking they could win the Mountain West Conference Tournament, but a deep run and grab some wins here because I feel like offensively there's a pretty high ceiling there. When they're complete, they just haven't been complete.
4: Yeah, and the biggest thing about it, when they're healthy together, it never seems like Cambridge and Sherfield click on the same night, yep. except for when they went on the road and beat Utah State in Logan and they score 85 points in that game, beat Utah State by double digits. That's the Utah State team that doesn't have a great record, but the metrics really like. So when those two click together, you can see what they can do. They, they were double-digit underdogs in that game. They were able to win outright. So in this situation, I would say if those two click together and drop 40-plus in a the game, they can knock off a couple of teams. But if you're the Mountain West, that's the worst-case scenario for you because that's a bad loss for any team in the conference tournament. So ideally for the conference, I think you want to avoid that happening. But if those two get it going together; they're probably the best guard duo in the conference, so they could definitely win a couple of games and play spoiler.
1: All right. Before we get you out of here, uh, so I was looking over uh, your final field of sixty-eight mid-major poll, and uh, I was one of the things that has stuck out to me uh, over the last couple of days here is, is San Francisco. So explain to me the affair here with San Francisco. The the Dons right now, Ken Palm has them twenty-fourth. You guys had them on your mid-major poll sixth. Like I've watched this team; they've had second-half issues, the blown game against St. Mary's. They Lost the rematch there. They've got some pretty, I think, troubling losses on the resume, too. Why do the metrics love San Francisco so much, and some spots have them in the tournament at this point?
4: Yeah, I think they'll be pretty safely in the tournament right now, barring any bad losses. They can't lose to San Diego. They're probably like a 10 seed right now. They're on the bubble for sure. But that loss to Portland really put them yeah. in a compromising spot there. But uh, their defense is really efficient. That's been a thing for them all year. Even when their offense doesn't show up, and Todd Golden's a very young, analytically-minded coach, and he takes a lot of three-point shots. So that can be good for you, and it can be bad, like dropping 48 points against Grand Canyon. But he's a great young coach that's really gotten the defense going this year, thanks to and Masalski, the San Diego transfer, and Patrick DePay the transfer from Duke. So their defense has really carried them this year, and they have one of the best guards in all of the West Coast region, not just the West Coast Conference, Jamari Bouye. So when you have those kind of options along with a good coach and some solid wins, they've had some good blowouts that have helped their metrics for sure. Uh, I think San, I think San Francisco is going to end up making the tournament barring something that uh, bad losses.
1: So, so three teams for the West Coast Conference then, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, San Francisco?
4: Yeah, that's what I would say right now. I think BYU's played themselves out of the tournament. They've had some injuries that have really hurt them this year, like Richard Howard and Gavin Baxter, but they just can't get consistent scoring outside of Alex Barcello, and they've really hurt their resume, especially, especially with that Quadrant Four loss against the Pacific.
1: Sean Paul, CBV, up on Twitter. Sean, it was good to talk to you. We're up against it, but thank you for the time today, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep, You got it. Uh, yeah, San Francisco and um... – They've always been kind of an enigma to me, but I've also been burned by him once or twice. So maybe that's where it comes from. But we will uh, we'll get some questions answered about them coming up on Thursday. They do get Gonzaga. So we'll see what they look like in that matchup. When they first met seventy eight sixty two. that was on the road. So the Dons get them back at home and a projected nine-point loss at this point. Only two games left on the schedule before the West Coast Conference comes out here to Las Vegas. All right, we'll come back uh, last couple of minutes here on The Edge. Uh, We will get to best bets, three in college hoops, a couple of games we haven't talked about yet. Also take a look uh, at uh, the Honda Classic because that's actually one of my favorite golf tournaments on the card, man, in the PGA Tour. Can't wait to discuss when we come back here on The Edge. This is The Edge on VSN, the sports betting network. Welcome back. This segment of The Edge is brought to you by Zinn Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray, no more spit cups, and no batteries to charge or leaky equipment to deal with. Zinn Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties like Spearmint, Wintergreen, Citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zinn America's number one nicotine pouch, available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zinn. So head on over to Zinn.com. Locate a store near you. It's EYN.com slash find warning product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. All right. Best bets. A recap from last night was texting with uh, Matt Eubens in the middle of this game. And, oh, boy, uh, Michigan State, huh? Not really going well for Tom Izzo and the Spartans. Go on the road. Uh, That was a buzzsaw. Iowa was absolutely fantastic. uh, 80-60, the final score there. The story here, though, is the Spartans now 1-6 ATS in their last seven games. And it looked like going into the second, coming out of this uh, halftime and into the second half, uh, Spartans defensively got a little bit better, tightened things up. I think they cut it to like a 9-7 point game. It looked like, hey, maybe this is going to – nope. Ultimately, the uh, Hawkeyes pull away with a fantastic offense and performance and shooting performance overall. They're a dangerous team, man, and um, when you can score like they can, they are going to be a dangerous out to pretty much anybody. But really, again, the story here, the Spartans now one in seven, have one in six ATS in their last seven and reeling with a schedule that is brutal. Um, as they close out the regular season and head into Big Ten tournament play. The others, Nevada minus two versus UNLV, mentioned this. Uh, Cambridge out of nowhere is not going to play, so that sucks. Um, Nevada ultimately loses outright to UNLV, who uh, gets their ninth conference win, and then Texas Tech, the load winner, nine and a half. Uh, looked like it was a slow start in the first half, but ultimately Texas Tech blows them out in the second half. Wouldn't know, though. Don't get the Big 12 network, so come on, man. Let's go. Put these on TV. Uh, all right, Duke minus five. Let's start here, taking on Virginia. Interesting revenge matchup here for the blue devils on the road, but Duke has won four straight nine out of 10. There's six and four ATS over that stretch. Nothing to sneeze at really, but blue devils, when you look at back on their February 7th loss at home, Reese Beekman hits a game-winning three-pointer with 1.1 left on the clock. And Virginia, by the way, comes in pretty good form. Five one straight up ATS last six. They've covered five of the last six at home. Here's the thing for me. Biggest difference in that game of Cameron was turnovers. Uh, Duke, 15 turnovers to five for Virginia in that game. And in a 64 possession game, it's a massive difference. Duke's interior defense really non existent. 29 of 53, Virginia did inside the arc. Uh, shots inside the arc from Caden Shedrick were a great. Eight of eight on all of those attempts. Scored 16 points in the win. On the season, Duke has been much better in protecting the interior. It looked like at times, like an offensive standpoint, their offensive rating in that game, they still put up 1.065 points per possession. So it's still a relatively efficient night for Duke in that game. It was just the turnovers that killed them. They come back into this game uh, with, I would think, a, uh, a bug that is biting them and kicking them in the rear end, trying to get them to perform at a high level, and they have in certain situations like this. But I think you're going to be able to keep this UVA team from shooting, which they don't do well. Your interior defense should be better. You're going to be on notice because this team beats you at home. And if they don't turn the ball over 15 times compared to the five for Virginia, I think this would be a pretty good spot for Duke to exact their revenge and get a win and cover on the road against the Cavaliers. So give me Duke minus five. That's what the number is up to at this point right now. We covered this game in depth with Bruce Marshall, editor of the Gold Sheet, earlier today. But Providence minus one versus Xavier. You know, I'll bite here lane one with Providence. Xavier has not been a really good four. They've lost four out of five games. They have their own injury issues to deal with at this point right now, namely Nate Johnson, who missed the last two games. It looked like he won't be available here today. Al Durham is, of course, a questionable mark for Providence, but I would believe in this Friars team. If you look at some of the on-court, off-court numbers, they should be able to play well in his absence as opposed to the other way around. Xavier dealing with the loss of Johnson and looking uh, less than competitive in the last two games. So Providence got down to one. Total's down to 137. But I do think I'll lay a one point here against Xavier, who has not been playing well. And then finally, Wyoming, plus 6.5 against Colorado State. Look, as we mentioned, I got to say this with Colorado State really quickly. I think they're a really solid team. And I like overall the way that they're built. And this isn't an overreaction to watching them up close at Thomas and Mack over the weekend and getting beat by UNLV. But they they lose that game outright as a a 4.5-point favorite, clearly a little overvalued. They beat New Mexico up really badly, 83-68, to but they catch the Lobos coming off of that win against Wyoming. Solid road win at Boise State. You get Fresno State at home, and it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is here, I think there's a stretch now after this success that they had where Colorado State might be a little overvalued. They went to Laramie. It was a nip-and-tuck game the entire way, uh, and Wyoming ultimately wins that game 84-78 to in overtime. I just think that these two teams are a little bit closer rated uh, to one another than the market is indicating right here. This would say about a neutral, a three-point difference between these two, and I think they're a little bit closer to even here, so I thought this was going to be more like four-and-a-half as opposed to six-and-a-half, where it was at a majority of shops, so give me the Cowboys plus six-and-a-half against Colorado State later today um, on the road. With that, two more games I want to hit on really quickly. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, the big one, right, which is Michigan bouncing back after the brouhaha over the weekend against Wisconsin, uh, opened up six with a total of one thirty. Uh, but in some spots now, you know, it got to as low as four or at five here at the South Point with a total of 135 and a half. Uh, As we know, right, Jawan Howard is not going to be on the bench. Terrence Williams, uh, Musa Diabate are not going to play either. Now, I, I, I threw this at Jim Root, who's going to be with us tomorrow. It's going to be pretty interesting because um – If you look at just the raw numbers, according to Hoop Explorer, who does a great job of tracking these on-court, off-court numbers, um, the Wolverines plus 11.6 per 100 possessions with Diabate on the floor, but plus 23 in the minutes with him off the floor. Uh, Jim brought up the great point to me when we were discussing this uh, through Twitter DMs, that a lot of those minutes with Diabate off the floor probably include Terrence Williams, who's also not going to play. So you got to take that into account here. But this is one of those situations, right, where everybody and their mother, Rutgers, 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 like the line doesn't know that Michigan's going to be without a couple of these guys. So I do wonder if there comes a point here where still going to be, there's going to be maybe some value on Michigan. And Juwan Howard, I think, has done a great job. Right. Uh, and it's kind of it's funny the, the pendulum has kind of swung from Juwan Howard's a genius to they don't need Juwan Howard. I don't think that's really the case. I think he's a really good X's and O's coach. a thing that's clearly shown in his time there at Michigan. But yeah, I think you can get away with it for one game and especially a game in which you take taking talk about a Rutgers team that when you look at it, while they are five oh and one ATS in the last six games overall, were very competitive against Purdue over the weekend uh, on the road. Overall, this season three and eight straight up and depending on how you graded four and seven ATS. So I didn't have a play here. But I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if we come into the show tomorrow and we're talking about Michigan State winning and covering this game uh, against Rutgers. And the other, and this is just injuries and an interesting spot here in the SEC, LSU on the road against Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky opens up 7.5 with a total of 142. There's eight. So it's, it's kind of bouncing around in this number at this point right now. But yet again, you have injury question marks in the backcourt for Kentucky. Uh, both Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington are questionable to play tonight. And I think it's kind of a lot to ask of the Wildcats to lay that number if either of them cannot go, right? And I think big picture-wise, we'll have to talk to, to uh, Brian Edwards about this, you know, guys who candy-capped the SEC. Uh, but you wonder, like, in terms of competing for a national championship, you know, Ty Ty Washington has been in and out of the lineup for a while now. Uh, will he be able to last a run? Through the NCAA tournament, but regardless, uh, LSU four and seven straight up three and eight ATS in the last eleven games. They're three and five ATS on the road this season, so it's not like they're really in buy on form. Um, and their offense in conference play, oh, it's been awful for LSU. Ninety six point three points per one hundred possessions against SEC opponents. They've turned the ball over on twenty three point four percent of their possessions in conference play. They got some problems on the glass, too. They give up about 33.1% to opponents in offensive rebounding. Uh, That's not great against a front court that has uh, Tishiwe in it and uh, Kentucky. So... Uh, I didn't have anything here. Again, the injury marks, but I think it's one of the better games on the board, and it's worth noting some of those numbers. All right, really quickly, let's get to the Honda Classic uh, because I do have some plays here. Uh, let's start dabbling in some golf as we get to, into the heat of golf season as we swing over to the East Coast. Kudos to the long shot guys, too, by the way. Read uh, Reynolds' column that is up on vcin.com and Point Spread Weekly. Listen to Short Shots, the podcast as well. They've been giving great information, uh, as they called it, the West Coast Swing. Uh, but regardless, so let's, let's go to bat with a couple of guys here. Uh, Sung J M at 13-1 to 1 is going to be on the card. 2020 champ. He's done well on the course. Almost every time he's played it. Finished tied for 8th last year. Good recent form. 9 events in this season. Uh, 4 top 10s. 6 top 25s. 8 to 9 on the cut in the 9 events he's participated in. Last 3 events. Genesis, Farmers, and Max. He finished tied for 33rd. Tied for 6th. And tied for 11th. So take a, si- a shot with Sung J M. Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, short sample size, but he's played uh, well here in the 2 times. Finished 4th and 3rd in his 2 appearances. Uh, also uh, in the... Um, we've seen some, I think, from a statistical standpoint, we've seen at times Tommy Fleetwood, I think, could be a relatively accurate ball striker at times on some of these skinny fairways. But I thought a 27-1 to 1 in the short sample size he's given here, I think it's worth a shot there. All these odds, by the way, courtesy at Circa. Lee Westwood, 84-1. to 1. I'll do it. Risky play here, but good in his two Euro Tour tournaments. Tied for 32nd at Dubai. Tied for 20th at Abu Dhabi. He's been vocal about how much he enjoys playing here. This pretty good history. Didn't make the cut last year, but four top ten finishes. Made the cut seven out of eight times. Finished fourth here in 2020. So, at that 84-1 to one, uh, mark, I will take it. Uh, and then a couple of other guys. Uh, Ricky Fowler, as you see there, terrible form, finished tied for 55th at the Genesis, but good history, although recently has been great miscuts in two out of four tournaments, but he has played this course well over the course of 40 rounds. And then finally, long shot, give me Brandon Hagee, 225-1, to terrible recent form, but good course history, finished second here last year, and of four appearances, he's three of four of the cut, three top 25s in that runner-up that we just mentioned. So uh, let's get frisky. We got golf. All right. Uh, all done with that. Again, if you missed out on any part of this show, vcin.com slash podcast. Humans, of course, on follow the money. So if you miss out on humans, if you just miss them, you know, just reach out. He'll respond on Twitter. And also watch Follow the Money and all of our other programs here in b City. My Guys in the Desert coming up next.